Attention SLPs and OTs with existing private practices. Are you ready to level up your private practice and your life and make this your breakthrough year? If so, join us for Make More in 2024, a free training offered on Thursday, March 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern to discover how to shift from clinician to CEO. During the training, we'll talk about the importance of maximizing your income, adding revenue streams, setting up systems, and more so that you can ultimately work smarter and build a successful, sustainable, and sellable business. To sign up, just visit growyourprivatepractice.com backslash training. Don't miss the chance to learn how to effectively navigate the growth phase of the private practice journey. See you on the training. My name is Jenna Castro-Casbon. I am part of a group of private practitioners who have taken client care into our own hands. We are skilled clinicians who pride ourselves on providing high quality care to our clients and their families. We are fighting against productivity requirements, administrative red tape, and unnecessary restrictions. We started our own private practices to take control of our professional and personal lives, of our schedules, of our incomes, of our future. We work hard for our clients, but on our terms. We believe in helping others, but also helping ourselves. We are not interested in competing with each other because we hope we'll all make it. We are successful private practitioners, and these are our stories. On this episode of the Private Practice Success Stories podcast, you'll hear from Joanne Burns, an SLP in the Nashville, Tennessee area of the country, and she's going to tell you about her road to private practice, which had a couple of bumps in it, but ultimately has worked out amazingly, and she's really had to figure out how to make it all work, and she has, so stay tuned. So before we dive into the questions, can you please share with our listeners your name, your location, and the name of your private practice? Sure. Uh, My name is Joanne Burns. I am in Nashville, Tennessee, and the name of my practice is Burns Therapy Solutions. I'm so excited to talk to you tonight. I've never been to Nashville, but I have family there and I keep meaning to go. One day I'll end up there. Um, Tell us all about like how you got started as an SLP. What was your early career like before you started thinking about private practice? Yeah. Um, side note, you've got to come to Nashville. Everybody comes to Nashville. Like, well, I'm from New Orleans. I'm, I'm from like a Louis, you know, Louisiana, another music town, right? Yeah. I'll get there. Okay, good. Hit me up when you're in town. Well, hey. I will. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I learned about the field of speech and language uh, when probably like a mix of when I was student teaching in college as an elementary ed major. Um, and like saw this woman who would come in and take out kids, but didn't really know who she was or what she was doing. And incidentally, at the same time, um, my brother, who's much younger and much cooler than me, uh, got flagged on a speech and language screening at school. And I think it was like mid-elementary school for him. And kind of opened my eyes to like, hey, there's this whole field that you didn't know about Mm -hmm. um, called speech and language pathology. And guess what? You actually have a family history of it. Um, Personally, you know, like 
I myself as an individual had never gone to speech or had any difficulties in that sense. But through my brother, I learned that several of our cousins also had it. Mm -hmm. And it was just one of those things that, you know, doesn't come up when you're mm -hmm. at a family reunion or hanging yeah. out at Christmas. Like that's not topic of conversation that comes up. But yeah, it's a really cool field and I'm thrilled to be working in it. That's great. So, so you, you found the, the field through, through your brother, you decided to go to graduate school and then where, what, like, tell us about your first job. First job was with a private practice here in Nashville and they had maybe like three or four clinics. By the time I started with them, it was rotating between clinics. I did mostly early intervention work and then a fair bit of school aged students with my elementary ed background, I was always like, oh, I'm totally going to work with like K through five. Like those are going to be my people. But as luck would have it, I got a lot of really great early intervention training that I'd end up tapping into uh, down the road. Did that for a year. And then after I finished my CF, I went into the schools for a couple of years. Were you back to those older kids that were sort of your prime kid okay. group? So I never thought I would work with big kids, oh. quote unquote, air quotes, big kids. Yeah. And I got a position in the upper elementary school and it was a private school, K through 12, college prep for children with learning disabilities. Really awesome school, amazing program. And I got the position upper elementary school speech and language pathologist. And I was like, upper elementary, that's like what, fourth and fifth grade? And it was my first year. And then it, maybe it was fifth, it was fifth and sixth grade was what it actually wound up being for upper elementary. And then they merged and somehow I became a middle school speech and language pathologist by the time always said and done. And I loved it again. Like you just, you don't always expect, like when things don't go according to plan, they can still turn out great. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So you've had experience with kids with all ages and whatnot, and you it sounds like you had some experience in a private practice and then, then the schools, right? Yeah. So did you have another job after that? Or tell us how you started transitioning into thinking about private practice. Yeah, it was kind of always on my radar. And I guess I should, I should go back and say I've always been really passionate about children with like language and learning difficulties and in and around that intersection between language and literacy skills. Mm -hmm. So I was on a training grant in graduate school that focused on language and literacy. Then when I was doing my CF, I had a job on the side at uh, the Vanderbilt Kennedy Center Reading Clinic. Mm -hmm. So working with students that had a diagnosed language disorder, who are your classically poor comprehenders when they're having to read, but also children that had a dual diagnosis with dyslexia, kind of building my skill set in that area. And that's actually a lot of what I did in the schools as well. So when I started at the private school, they had me utilize my teaching license and teach language arts two periods a day, one to a class of children with dyslexia and another to a class of children with diagnosed language impairments. So I sort of specialized over time in this, this area that's not always necessarily thought like, oh, like speech lady doesn't do reading. So it's you know, what I'm really passionate about. And when I get a lot of kids have reading problems and need that, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it kind of, you know, it it's, goes under the radar for so long and then pops up some of these kids that, you know, oh, well, they did speech. They did language therapy when they were in kindergarten and they're fine now. 
but then later on we see some difficulties. But so, yeah, I had my daughter, went back to work for a year at the school. It was a good environment. Like mm -hmm. the daycare was there on campus and I was able to walk over at lunch and nurse her and then go back and teach. And it was really like, pretty ideal in that sense, as far as being able to have that balance. But she was born premature and had a good long maternity leave, sort of sort out some medical things with her. But at the end of the year, her health just kind of started to take a turn. She, and you know, maybe it's the first time mom being melodramatic, right? But she had RSV, mm -hmm. she had a poor little preemie lung, so RSV hit her pretty hard. Then she got norovirus, then she got the oh, fever. And so her grand finale, right at the end of the school year, she had a seizure. Wow. And it, we were like, oh, she had a fever. Was it related to the fever? You know, you're going through all these things. And we know the milestones in our profession. And we know how important that birth to three time span is for development. And so it was a tough decision, but I decided going back wasn't gonna work for us. Mm -hmm. And after working so hard to make it work that year and adjusting to daycare and being like, I can do it, it was really hard to step back. And I wasn't ready to give up my passion and give up working with students in the role of a speech language pathologist. So I started seeing a couple students um, with the school's permission. They were like, you can't leave us, Mrs. Burns. Like, where are you going? So there were a handful of kids that kind of stayed on with me or had gone to other schools um, mm -hmm. and had transitioned out to different private schools and still wanted to stay with me. I got a couple referrals from the Tennessee Foundation for Dyslexia and it just, it kind of happened really organically, which was cool. Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, so those were your first private clients, right? Yeah. You're working with. And that is the magic when it can happen that way. When, when, you know, an employer knows and they don't, you know, I, I never want people doing stuff without their employer knowing, right? There's some people have non-compete clauses. Some people have other things. You really want to do this on the up and up because former employers can really become like amazing referral sources, right? You don't want to be burning any bridges, especially when you're first getting started. So it sounds like you were able to, you know, you'd already had a relationship with these kids. You would already help them make a lot of progress. And so we're able to continue that, which was probably wonderful for like all parties involved. Yeah. Yeah. It worked out really well. And it, it was okay because it was like, there was really good communication between the school and me for one student in particular that, that wanted to stay. A lot of kids after middle school had kind of transitioned to a high school. Mm -hmm. And so then that opened up the door to be like, okay, well now you're at a different school and I could go see you there. But even with a student that was still at the school, the family advocated and I was like, whatever you guys want, like I don't want to step on any toes. And they were just a dream to work with. So really that's, cool. that's fabulous. Okay. So then what happened next? Yeah. So I all of a sudden was like, Oh, I'm in private practice. Hmm. And, uh, sort of scrambled, looked on some Facebook groups, like what should I be doing to, to have everything set up the way it's supposed to be? Because it is, a lot of families were kind of like, oh, well, like you're doing reading steps, you're a tutor. And I'm like, no, I'm actually licensed by the Department of Health and a healthcare provider. So we've got to, you know, get some of these. Yeah. These uh, 
I don't know, boxes checked off. Yeah, yeah, boxes checked, ducks in a row, you know. <laughs> saying you want to do. Coincidentally, I had just, my husband had just finished business school. And so it was kind of great to be able to tap into some of that knowledge and be like, yeah. remember how I helped pay those tuition bills? So, great. yeah, you get a built-in business consultant. That's fabulous. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So uh, it was good to sort of have him help uh, with the, how do I set up a business? I know how to do great therapy. I know how to build rapport with families, communicate with teachers, occupational therapists, psychologists. I got all that going. And I feel like a lot of us do, right? But how do you effectively run a business was kind of the next step and next question mark. So honest to Pete, I think every every nap time and every time my daughter went to bed, I was Googling stuff and talking with my husband and talking with friends in other uh, states who had started their own private practices. That was extraordinarily helpful. Tapping into that network of people that were friends from grad school, had gone all over the country and saying, so how'd you do this? Who do you know that might know more about this? Um, heard about your your group through many of them they're like oh yeah check out Jenna's stuff perfect it it filled a need so yeah it was that's kind of how we got started that that first year nice and so did you start like building more did you stay kind of small and comfortable while your daughter was still young or what did what did like transitioning look like then Right. So at that point, my goal was, I was like, I want to try to make as much salary wise as I had made when I was working in the schools, but I wanted to set my rate to a point where I could be seeing clients. I think my, my target was like 15 clients mm -hmm. and then doing the documentation and all that sort of on my own time, but being able to be there during the day for my daughter. So yeah, she did go to daycare like two days a week. But then with the health stuff, we then decided to have a sitter come to our home so that way she wasn't being exposed and could kind of give her some time to build up that immune system, which, which worked out well for her. Like, she's doing great now. She's going to turn four in July. Nice. Yeah. Um, I know. Um, it's exciting. It goes by fast. But so had great, like, child care for her and then was able to go to homes of patients or go to schools. I kept it pretty local. That was, like, my one sticking point. Nashville's growing. Nashville's got lots of traffic. And it was like, I'd love to, to see your child and work with your child because that I sound like an awesome family, awesome kid, but I can't drive 30 minutes, 20 minutes and back because that's time. I know people set their rate to make up for that, but I wasn't willing to do that. So it took some time to grow, but I I got there about within a year, nice. and then we embarked on our second pregnant, my second pregnant, second child. Mm -hmm. That one, that was cool. Um, so yeah, then we decided to have a second child, and I had a full caseload at that point. And was kind of like, all right, we're not going to keep growing, mm -hmm. but just going to maintain the caseload where it is, ease off on you know marketing, accepting mm -hmm. new patients, things like that, and kind of kind of coast and figure out what you're going to do during your maternity leave. Like, how am I going to delegate what I've spent the last year building to someone else? Um, 
and had my wheels turning on that was at a Valentine's Day party helping a student with social skills. And um, by the way, at my job at the schools, when I wasn't doing dyslexia or language literacy, the other half of my caseload, middle schoolers with high functioning autism spectrum disorder. So yeah. I did lots and lots of social pragmatics work. Um, and Valentine's Day is a great, that's a great topic for social pragmatics. Oh my gosh, yes. Any class party is great. It's yeah. like a naturalistic context that we need because sometimes, I mean, we all have the kids that they know the rules, but the implementation yeah. is where, you know, but anywho, I digress. I'm at this party. I had horrible morning sickness. The kids are eating all these cupcakes. I'm like, this is disgusting. I'm going to make it through. And I look up and my externship supervisor is there in her yoga pants. She's the class mom. No way. She's put on this whole party. And at that point, I wasn't telling anybody I was expecting. Mm -hmm. And she's telling me, oh my gosh, it's so great that you started your own practice. How did you do that? Wow. And the whole time I'm thinking, wow. She'd love to get back into it. She's saying she'd love to get back into it. Like, yeah, I got to find a way to connect with her because right here I'm like providing therapy. I'm yeah. trying not to throw up. Back. Yeah. <laughs> now is not the time to be pitching yeah. like, hey, so in nine months, what, what you got going on? And was able to connect with her. And she um, still actually contracts with me to this day and sees a couple of clients. But yeah, so that was kind of the next step um, that actually came earlier than we anticipated. My son threatened to come at 28 weeks. So way ahead of schedule, right? And just like scary. That's when you kind of got to put a pause on everything. Be like, yeah. Whoa. My patients are important, but I need to figure out my health and my child's health. The therapist that, you know, the, the room mom slash SLP slash amazing human was great and helped take, take over some of those clients. I did have another person who I had helped mentor in the school. She like shadowed me and done her externship with me. She was working for the public schools, but was able to see students after school. Had her pick up some of the caseload. So two therapists help cover my caseload in a kind of supplemental income sense for them. Mm -hmm. And I had to learn to delegate while on bed rest for a month at the hospital and then delegate from the NICU for a couple of weeks. Wow. Yeah. And talk about having to learn how to do a skill that you otherwise might not have been ready for, but like you had to be ready and thank goodness that you had the people in place to make it work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, necessity is the mother of invention, right? I didn't, I had a choice. It was either like say to these families, I'm sorry, we can't keep working together. Here's a referral to another clinic or figure out how to make it work. Mm -hmm. And I loved what I had been doing for that year. It was great for the families that I was serving. It was great for me and my family. And yes. so I was really motivated to figure out how to make it work. Thankfully, the, the clinicians that covered for me had the expertise where they were able to seamlessly come in and really provide, keep up that quality of therapy for the families yeah. and, and really just keep everything going. I had systems in place so it wasn't like I had to create systems. I just said, had to say, here's what I've been doing. You're an independent contractor. Actually, you can decide how you want to do this. 
yeah. this is what I've done. And it, it worked out well. We actually grew somehow and got, we keep getting referrals and I'd be like, well, I'm on maternity leave, but I've got a great therapist who you can see. And so again, kind of like how I got my start, it all happened very want to be like easily organically it just happened yes there was a plan and there was some intentionality but life throws you these curveballs and you have to adapt and figure out like what's next how are you going to make it happen today Um, it wasn't a grand plan it was really kind of a day by day like all right how do we make this happen and what do i need to do today to take care of tomorrow and here we are almost three years later but it, and it all, it sounds like it's worked out, right? Like who can say that they've gone on maternity leave with, you know, a medically fragile kid, right? And yeah. grow their practice during that time. I think that very few people could say that, right? So if that's not, you know, meant to be, like, I don't know what is, <laughs> right? Like that if you weren't meant to, to have your practice grow in that way, so that when you were ready, right, when your little boy was healthier, when you were ready, like that it would be not only there for you, you know, just like as, as a business, but like re- there for your contractors, right? There for your community, there for everybody involved. That's amazing. Yeah. And I mean, super fortunate and kept families in the loop, you know, like sent them an email blast with picture of the new baby and was mm-hmm. like, hey we're here. This is what we're doing. And, you know, feel free to reach out to me. Like seriously. And families were sweet. They'd like bring us food. They'd bring us coffee at the NICU. Just building up those relationships were really key to, to kind of keeping the business going because we're in a helping mm-hmm. profession. Yeah. So those relationships are so key. Like what's more important to you than your kids and allowing us to have the privilege of working with your child and helping your child, I think just speaks volumes of the trust that families have for us. So it's really, I'm just blessed to, to have such a great community here in Nashville of families that I work with that, that really care for us. So it's a good place to be. Well, it sounds like it. It sounds amazing. So, so what does your private practice look like now? Huh. So we made the switch. We are, we are brick and mortar. We have a, um, a treatment room in a shared office space. So it's interesting. It's like a office suite setup where there's other practitioners like psychologists and counselors and there's a couple of financial advisors are on a different floor, but you know, I mean, there's people of business. Yeah. Help, helping people, people, they're just helping people's finances. Right. Yeah. But it's actually been really cool to kind of like have the water cooler conversation with people outside of speech and language and talk to them about their businesses. Like, I don't know, talk, I had lunch with a pediatric dentist a week ago, just like learning more about how other related professions kind of run their businesses. It was really interesting. But yeah, so we have a actual, you know, office where we can see clients. We've had that for, I guess we got that this fall for more of the after school visits. There's five total independent contractors that we've got on board. I'm doing all of the evaluations Mm -hmm. and then sort of having the pairing the children based on their needs, but also we got to take into account part of those needs being their schedule. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, you know, 
we've all got our areas of expertise that we want to specialize in. But at a certain point when the parents are like, all right, well, he's got hockey practice this day and National Honor Society that day. So the only day we can make work is this day at this time at this specific school on this side of town. So figuring out how to navigate all that is really, whew, the scheduling is just crazy sometimes. But yeah, so we mostly see during school year, probably 90% of our caseload is seen in school. And that's got a, a couple benefits to it as far as not having to have a really big office and big rent from that perspective. But so yeah, there's like the, the analytical side to it, but really getting to be a part of the child's day mm-hmm. and making it feel like a normal part of their school day, not something extra they have to do at the end of the day when school's already hard for them mm-hmm. to be like, oh, come hang out. Like I can be as engaging and fun as all get out, but they're still having to do something after school instead of being a kid and having fun. And so we make therapy fun, but we, we do it and integrate it into the school day, which I've found has just been amazing for these kids because then we get to talk to their teachers a little bit when we drop them off, pick them up, sneak in a little conversation and really make sure it's all very applicable to the school environment um, and that functional everyday communication that happens in the school environment. That's where kids spend most of their waking hours. So doing it in the schools has been really cool. I'm sure that they'll make more progress that way too, though, right? Because then you'll get a ton more generalization, you'll get more communication. And right, just like you said, being a part of their environment, right? They're already comfortable there. That sounds like a perfect situation for you guys. Cool. Okay. So what does the future look like? What, what plans do you have on the horizon for, you know, let's just say like the coming year? Yeah, this coming year, I really want to focus on maintaining the relationships we have, like with some great relationships with several private schools here in town. There's a, I feel like just a ton of private schools in Nashville for whatever reason. And they don't have SLPs on staff. So I think our our primary goal and vision for the company is to help establish some new relationships Mm -hmm. with different schools, just to kind of diversify a little bit while still maintaining strong relationships at the schools where we are. But yeah, there's a couple schools that for, I'm not, yes, I am a business person. But I, I, I'm not a marketing person, I'm not a marketing expert. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we tend to get referrals from different organizations and, and, you know, a pediatrician refers us or a friend of a friend refers us or a teacher refers us. That's always such a compliment when a teacher's like, you need to see um, Joanne. It's like, oh my gosh, thank you. And so that's how we get, got a lot of referrals. And now the schools, the learning specialists and the teachers are like, oh yeah, just at these places where we are. So it's easy to kind of get almost too comfortable and be like, oh, this is cool. Like I'm good here. Um, So I think the next step is to try and stretch and build some relationships with some schools where we aren't serving any students yet. Yeah. Well, that sounds, I mean, marketing is really just about communication right? A lot of people think it's, you know, really great logo, lots of logo with your colors and everything like that, or like flashy materials, brochures, that kind of thing. It's really about communication. And for 
the way that you're doing it is that you are, are building relationships. You already have a lot of established relationships. And what you're saying is, is that you want to go and develop more relationships. So like actual, like talking to people, right. And getting people, that's how you get word of mouth, right. Is you have to have an established like track record or someone else has to say, Oh, Hey, my son went to, or my nephew went to this school and he had this wonderful experience you should you know contact this woman in her private practice she's wonderful with kids with reading issues and whatever else so that really is the way to do it absolutely you can you can have a website you can you can have lunch and learns at doctor's offices you can do all of these things but when it boils down to it all you have to do is communicate with people who know your ideal clients and if they can know your ideal clients and they know what you offer and, and who you are and what kind of a person you are and whether or not you're going to be able to work well with them, then they will absolutely contact you and be a referral source for you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's, that's the plan moving forward to take action like that and just get outside of the comfort zone and say, hey, I'm right down the street. This is what we do, um, which isn't always comfortable, right? Like it's, no one likes to put themselves out there to that that regard and so i guess in a similar vein should probably up my game on social media and things of that nature so i think that's that's where i'll put some energy and focus but i don't know i'd love your opinion on that like do is the social media piece that important to private practitioners because i feel like it's a lot of other slps that kind well of so that's a that's a really good question. Let's talk about that for a second. So when you think about social media, like when when you go on Facebook, I also have young kids about the same age as of yours. When I go on Facebook and I'm you know scrolling my feed, it's all you know pictures of other people with kids. It's just where I am in life, right? It's what other people's kids are doing, you know, ads for you know shoes and you know world news stuff kind of is like is what's in there and every now and then something will pop out and it'll be like an ad for something and all what it's trying to get me to do is disrupt my my feed right it's in amongst all these pictures and it's trying to get my attention and get me to go someplace else so i wasn't looking for that right something popped out maybe like a coupon or something like that and then all of a sudden i'm on the amazon website buying something right so what social media is good for, or, you know, you want to be, have a presence with people who are in your target market, really, who really aren't so much other SLPs, but are maybe parents of kids with reading difficulties. But in order to get in front of them, you have to work at disrupting what they're doing. Otherwise, they're not going to leave their Facebook page, right? On the flip side, what a website does is a website is there for people who are actively looking for services, right? So when you go to a website for, let's say, a restaurant, you are trying to decide, are you going to book a reservation at that restaurant? Does that menu look good to you? You're, you're really in the decision-making mode versus when you're on Facebook or Instagram and you're just scrolling through, and if something catches your eye, then you'll leave. Mm -hmm. So I think you know, hearing your, your idea about should you like be marketing yourselves to other private schools in your area or concentrating on social media, I would say hands down, go with the, re the referrals from people who know you like in the other schools, right? Those are people that have the capacity to not only refer one person, but maybe like five, six, 10 students. 
that that is a much bigger pot of opportunity than the Facebook feed is where also like with the algorithm and whatever else a lot of people put a lot of energy into these really nice looking social media posts that just aren't being seen by the right people. So if you're thinking about where to concentrate your effort, you've got two small kids, you've got a growing practice, I would say hands down start to develop those relationships with the other people who are at the private schools in your area. Awesome. Agreed. Now I don't feel as much pressure to, to do the social media. I mean, we are established. We've got an Instagram. We've got a Facebook. But I found that we get referrals through our website. You know, we probably get one or two that come through cold from Google searches a month. And so that has worked really well for us. Whereas there was a period of time, I guess it was about this time last year, where I hired somebody to kind of run some of the social media, at least establish us on Yelp and Google business and all that. But we weren't seeing clients through it. So it's kind of that trial and error of like, where do I put my time and energy and money? And uh, that's well, you, that was time and probably money well spent though, because you do want to be established, right? Because even if somebody hears about you at one of these other schools, chances are the person who told you, told them how wonderful you were, doesn't have your contact info, right? So they're going to Google you. Yeah. And, or they're going to look on Yelp or whatever. And then if they're, then if you're not there, they may think, oh, is this, did I get her name right? Like, is this really who it's supposed to be? Oh, look, here's this other person, you know, Nashville speech and language. I'm going to go there. Right. Oh, and that so, burns with an E, like the tricky last name. Like totally, exactly. <laughs> right. Joanne versus Joanna. Right. So anyway, you, ha you have to kind of figure out, you do have to have that presence, but really relationships this is a field and this is a profession where word of mouth marketing is really everything and once you can like become the one person that people at a certain place refer to then they will provide you with referrals like for forever so i would say keep going like keep your website for sure you know update the content every now and then but like don't get lost making pretty graphics you know, on Canva or something or searching for blog posts to do, go meet with the people at the other private schools instead. Definitely. Thank you. They You're welcome. You're good for that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what other like either words of wisdom or lessons learned can you share with our listeners before we wrap up? Yeah. Um, I would say just like, keep going. You got to take it one day at a time figure out what the next step is. Don't borrow trouble from tomorrow. You know, I, I don't know. That's not the days and time analogies here. But yeah, just keep going and, and it'll, it'll all come together. Well, it really sounds like it has come together for you. And from, you know, like your early days in that first private practice you worked with, you know, to the schools, figuring out some health issues with your kids and needing a more flexible, you know, schedule so that you could, you know, care for them. And then being able to reconnect or, you know, continue a relationship with these families that you had started who have these, you know, kids with reading issues. And now you're starting to get even more of that. I can't, I'm, I just can't say enough about how wonderfully perfect your trajectory like feels hearing it even though there were obviously some really big bumps in that road thanks thanks i appreciate that yeah i mean it, it's far from perfect there's good days and bad days but but more good days 
and every so often a couple of really great days right so it's it's a great when you love what you do I feel like it's it's gonna work out you know I mean there's good resources like you and your network and it all all comes together. Well, I'm just so excited. And again, it certainly seems to have come together really nicely for you. So thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for being such a wonderful source of inspiration and information for our listeners. And I wish you the very best of luck in the future. Thank you for having me. It's been a real treat. Absolutely. Have a good night. You too. Okay. Bye. Bye. Now that you've listened to the episode, I want to invite you to a free training. Do you have a business background? Most SLPs who go into private practice don't. You went to grad school, not business school. But here you are trying to start or grow a private practice. The good news is business skills can be learned and I wanna help you make solid decisions on how to start and grow your private practice so you can serve your community and build a legacy while doing therapy on your own terms in your own time, and yes, make more money. I want to invite you to my free training specifically to help SLPs get the background information you need to know in order to be successful. There are two tracks, the start track and the grow track, because the needs of beginners and growth level private practitioners are very different. The trainings are short but thorough and can be consumed and put into action quickly. I wanna teach you how to think, act, and behave like the private practitioner you are meant to be so that you can step into the vision you have for your private practice and your life. And the best part, these trainings are completely free. To register right now, simply visit independentclinician.com, click start or grow, and we can get started right now. Well, this episode might be over, but we don't have to say goodbye. Head on over to independentclinician.com for resources that will help you at each stage of your private practice journey. If you're on Instagram, let's connect. Follow me and send me a DM. I'm at independent clinician. And if you're on Facebook, make sure that you join the SLP and OT Private Practice Beginners Facebook group. All right, off to help more regular SLPs and OTs become successful private practitioners. Let me know if I can help you too.